my childhood, and I don't know if you ever do this, I think about my childhood, you ever thought about what it is you wanted to be when you were growing up? You think back to when you were a child, you think about, I mean, all of us, we were growing up, we wanted to be something great. So there was someone in our life, and we looked at this person and thought, man, they've, they've got it. I want to be like them. So I had, my dad died when I was young, and I had a couple of mentors uh, who happened to be attorneys. And I looked at these attorneys, and I thought, man, I look, at, I look at the life they live. I looked at the house they lived in. I looked at their family. I looked at the respect they had in the community because of their profession. I looked at uh, the, the lifestyle that their living permitted so they could go and have some fun and do some fun things in life. And I thought, you know what? To me, that was the picture of greatness. That's what I wanted to be when I grew up. And instead, I became a pastor. Figure that out. But what about you? What was that thing that you wanted to be when you grew up? When you thought about growing up and, and having influence or having uh, esteem or wealth or, or fame or importance or responsibility, what was the thing that you wanted to be when you grew up? I mean, this is why you ask little kids and they say, well, I want to be uh, a, a policeman, a firefighter. I want to be the president. I want to be a doctor because we have this tendency to look at people and say, man, they're, they, they've achieved greatness because they have these things. They have the esteem. They have the wealth. They have uh, the significance. They have whatever these things are. But here's, here's the problem is when we are thinking about what we want to be, when we think about people that we think have achieved, the problem with how we define that type of greatness um, is, is it is influenced by the world. And it becomes a preoccupation with our, uh, on ourself, right? I mean, that's how most of us view greatness. We look at people who have achieved all these things. They've got the wealth. They've got the respect. They've got the following. They've got people who like and, 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 and comment on their things on Facebook. And we look at greatness being preoccupied with ourself. If we are honored, if we are esteemed. In fact, you see this in all of our slogans in our modern advertising. You see that slogan, be all you can be. A preoccupation, focus on yourself. You hear that slogan, uh, experience your potential. And then you just, you go to the bookstore, which I know none of us really go to the bookstore anymore. Now we go to Amazon. You go on Amazon, you start flipping through the books on Amazon. And here are the titles and the subtitles of the books that we are going to look at. Listen to this, your best life now. Secrets to happiness in life. Joy in sex. More joy in sex. Those are two different books. Don't Google them. I'm telling you, you don't need to do that. Have you noticed, though, that it's catered towards our own satisfaction? It's catered towards greatness being our own fulfillment, and it becomes our goal in life, does it not? It almost almost becomes our religion. It's how we can be fulfilled, how we can be satisfied, how we can uh, achieve. There's nothing... uh, in fact, that desire for greatness, that, a ch- that, a, that desire for significance, that also affects how we view the people around us. Because when people like us, when people click like on social media, and don't we feel great? Man, we feel so good. But then when people don't like us, it's the opposite. We feel horrible. It just drives us into despair. And so what happens is we end up using, uh, viewing people in two different categories. 
You've got two different categories of people. You've got a group of people over here that you feel you are better than. Well, I've achieved more. I've overcome more. I don't struggle like they do. So we look at these people and think, well, I'm better than them. Because again, it props up my self uh, view of greatness. Or we've got this other group of people where we say, these are people that I'm going to use to achieve what I want to achieve. So these are people that I will walk on, that I will take from, because I believe that they are going to be another step to helping me achieve and become more. We place of people's opinions on the throne of our lives. And we worship at the altar of success and greatness. And the consequence is, is instead of loving people, we use people for our own purposes. That we want to seek our greatness at other people's expense. Now I want to just say it's not wrong for us to desire these things. It's not wrong for us to desire influence or esteem or, or wealth or fame or importance or responsibility. In fact, as we read through the Bible, we're going to see that there are times when God actually gives those to people. He, he says, go ahead, and, and, and they're not bad. Don't, don't be encouraged uh, to seek those. But the Bible also, while it does that, is also going to challenge our definition of what greatness truly is. It's going to change our definition of what fulfillment and significance really means. So we're going to look at how the Bible redefines what greatness is all about. If you have a Bible, I want you to open your Bible to Mark chapter 10. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to pull up your phone. There's some great apps on your phone that you can have the Bible in your hand, in your pocket 24-7. Uh, all the verses I'm going to read are also going to be on the, the screen behind me. You can follow along there. Uh, Mark chapter 10. Uh, we've been in this series for the past couple of weeks called A Gospel-Centered Life. And it's kind of uh, addressing our temptation in life to, uh, to find our standing with God or to find our identity in things other than God. So what we are, what we are so tempted to do is we want to find our standing with God based on what we do or based on what we do not do, right? We, we have this temptation to find our identity and what we have or what we don't have. We have this temptation to, to base our identity on what other people think of us. Or what other people have done to us. And we allow these things to define our identity. We allow these things to define how we think God views us. But as we've studied uh, this simple gospel message. The gospel message says that our standing with God and, and our identity isn't based on anything that we do. It's based on what Jesus has done for us. That's the simple message of the gospel. That, that, that our standing with God, our identity isn't based on what we do or what we have or what we don't do or what we don't have. It's based on what God has done for us. This is the good news of the gospel. That what God did to establish his kingdom and deal with our sin through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the foundation of Christianity. This is the one message that you walk out of Restoration Church Man, I don't care if you know the catechism. I don't care if you can define theology. I want you to know what the gospel message is. Jesus in your place. And if our standing with God and if our identity, if it's no longer uh, based on what you've done, now it becomes based on what Jesus has done for you. And there's these little hints of truth uh, that I want us to hear and I want us to understand that, listen, you, uh, you are not what you do. You are what Jesus has done for you. Isn't that good to hear today? 
You aren't what you do. You are what Jesus has done for you. What you do doesn't determine who you are. Your identity is shaped by Jesus in your place. So we've talked about this identity. We've talked about the different implications of the gospel and how it changes our identity. Because of Jesus, our identity changes. Will we become a, a son or a daughter of God? Not just that God is some distant deity that we have to try and fulfill and satisfy, but God actually becomes our father. We call him Abba, Father, Daddy. We have this intimate relationship with him. It changes our identity where we become a missionary. We're given the message of reconciliation to share with the world. You can be made right with God. We are are given the identity of family. Jake talked about this last week, how we all come together and we all come to Christ with the same thing, nothing. And because of that, we become a family. It's a beautiful picture. And today, we're going to look at our identity that because of what Jesus has done for us, that we become servants. We become servants. Now, I know when I hear this, I, when you hear this idea that we become a servant, some of you are saying, well, that doesn't sound like a very good life. That sounds like a pretty crummy life. But again, with this idea that you and I, most of us, are searching for greatness. We want significance. We desire fulfillment. What the Bible is going to teach us today is that the greatest fulfillment is found in giving ourselves away for other people. You want to find the greatest satisfaction and fulfillment in life, it is found by giving yourself away for other people. Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to see this. Mark chapter 10, Jesus has been hanging out with his disciples. He's been trying to teach them a few things. In fact, uh, Jesus, prior to where we're going to be at today, Jesus told his disciples about the gospel message for the third time. He said, listen, disciples, you're my best friends. Here's what you need to know. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be hung on a cross. And I'm going to die for your sins. And then I'm going to raise from the grave. Now, the disciples, they're a little hard-headed like some of us in here. They're like, we don't quite get what you're talking about, Jesus. Stop talking about dying. We don't want you to die. But Jesus has told us again and again. He wants them to understand. And, and, and he tells them about the gospel. He tells them what's going to happen to them. And then this conversation shifts a little different direction. And, and it'll fit our context today. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. It says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, if you're a parent and a kid asks that question, they're asking for a blank check, right? I mean, literally, they're like, hey, can you give us a blank check? And so here's what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, grant us to sit at your right hand and one on your left in your glory. Now, in fact, the, the, the gospel writer Matthew, he includes the same story in his, in his account in the book of Matthew. But he has a slight variation. He actually says that when Jesus is hanging out with the disciples, that James and John, their mom is hanging out with them. You talk about a helicopter parent. Like, their mom goes and says, hey, Jesus, would you allow my sons to sit at your right and left hand? So you ever thought you had a helicopter parent? That was the first one, the original, the OG. But regardless of whoever asked the question, that's a pretty bold question, am I not? Am I right? I mean, I mean what, are, what are they doing? What are they seeking after? They're seeking after the same things that we want. The disciples, James and John, they say, Jesus, we want to sit at your right hand and at your left hand because we're seeking greatness. We want fulfillment. We want significance. These are all the things that we long for. 
But they have the gumption, the straight-up boldness to ask, Hey, God, would you make us great? Will you allow us to sit at your right and your left hand and judge the world? Now, how many of you, if you could picture yourself hanging out with Jesus, how many of you would ask Jesus that question? Hey, Jesus, can you make me great so I can sit at your right and left hand and judge everybody else? Now, most of us are going to say, no, that's ridiculous. There's no way I'd be that bold or that foolish to ask Jesus that same question. I'm not that arrogant. That's, that's blatantly selfish. But the reality is we still have this preoccupation with ourselves. Every one of us still have this preoccupation with ourselves. And we may not make that bold request, but I want you to think about the prayers that you pray. Think about that. Do your prayers reveal a preoccupation with yourself or a desire for greatness? I mean, think about the prayers that you've prayed in the last month, the last year, the last five years. How much trouble would you be in if God granted every one of those prayers? Because how many of us, I mean, we'll just be realistic. How many of us are praying, God, would you make me prettier and skinnier and wealthier? God, would you make me more popular? I mean, when you think about the prayers that you've prayed in the last several years, how many people who have hurt you? Think about all those people that have, how many people have hurt you? Have you prayed that they would be hurt or they'd be killed as a response to how they've treated you? Think about this. How many of you would still be married today if God answered all of your prayers? To the same person, I should clarify that. I mean, let's, let's really dig deep for a second and think about the things that we pray for and what they reveal about our heart. Because it's easy for us to stand and judge James and John and say there's no way that we would be that bold and that selfish to God. But if we're going to be honest and look at how we pray, man, let's see ourselves in this text. Let's see that we have this preoccupation with greatness. We have this preoccupation with ourselves. We pray all sorts of arrogant and, and selfish prayers, seeking that same kind of greatness. We just try and make it sound less arrogant than James and John. So here's Jesus' response, verse 38. Jesus said to them, you do, not, you do not know what you were asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Are you able to be baptized with a, with a baptism which, with which I am baptized? As Jesus talks about this cup, uh, he, the cup that he's referring to is a cup of suffering. It's this enduring, this, this abandonment from his friends that he's going to experience. It's the enduring of God's judgment as he, he takes upon himself our sins on the cross. This is the cup of wrath that Jesus is about to, to embrace. He says this baptism, this baptism points to his death, his dying on the cross, his being buried in the grave and rising again on the third day. Again, Jesus is trying to teach the disciples, I want you to understand the gospel of what I'm going to do for you. And so he points and says, listen, are you able to drink of the cup that I drink? Are you able to, to go through the baptism that I'm about to go through? Verse 39, the bold disciples, and they said to him, we are able. Of course, you guys say that. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. 
regarding suffering, Jesus said, listen, you are going to suffer, but it's going to be a different kind of suffering than Jesus experienced. Jesus experienced a a, a suffering for our salvation. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are James or John or, or Kevin or any one of us, if you are a follower of Jesus, there's a certain amount of suffering that is related to to being a follower of Christ. There's a certain amount of rejection that you will face if you choose to live for God. I mean, you've, you've heard this idea, and I don't know where this idea came from, that if you just have enough faith in God, then you won't have struggles in your life. If you just have enough faith, then things are going to be good. Now, I don't know where that came from. That sounds ridiculous because, listen, our world is broken. Our world is ruled by sin. And that's what makes us long and wait for the return of Christ when you are saved from the very presence of sin. So Jesus says, listen, disciples, yes, you're going to experience rejection. You're going to have hardship and suffering. But then this idea about sitting in my right hand or left hand, Jesus says, sorry, guys, that's not for me to decide. That's for God the Father to decide. And honestly, you're asking the wrong question. Verse 41, this is when it gets really fun. And then the ten heard it, and they began to be indignant at James and John. Of course, the other disciples, they catch wind of it. And they become angry. There's a certain degree of of division between the disciples. And it's this idea that if we have a a self-focused attitude, if we are focused on ourselves and our own greatness, it destroys unity. destroys mission. I mean, you can, you can picture this scenario with the disciples right now with your kids. Like, have you ever had kids? You know, one kid comes up and you're like, here, let me give you a, a piece of candy. Let me give you something good. And then what do they do? They go down and rub it in front of all their, friend, all their siblings. Ah, look what mom and dad give you. Then the kids come up. Mom and dad, what are you doing? So I want to point out just how this self-focused attitude destroys unity because we are a church here at Restoration Church. Uh, We are a church that desires to be diverse, to reflect the diversity of our city, to say, uh, no matter where you come from, you will find acceptance here at Restoration Church. Whether you slept on a big house on on the hill last night or whether you slept at the mission, whether, whether you've been married for thousands of years like Dan and Joy Fitzgerald, or whether you come in and you've been divorced three times, whether you are white or brown or black, Whether you cheer for the blue and green or the green and gold or the blue and silver or whatever team you root for. Listen, we all come to Jesus in the same way, with open hands. And it's the the grace of God that allows us to be his sons and daughters. And we desire to be a church that reflects that kind of diversity. Where it doesn't matter where you come from, we all worship Jesus the same. And that brings us together. That gives us unity. Unity in purpose, unity in mission. And that speaks something beautiful to a lost world. That says, man, there's something different about God because he can bring all these different people from all these different walks of life and there's unity because of the gospel. But you know what happens if you and I become like the disciples? You know what happens when we start longing for position and striving for power and praise and influence? That quickly ruins relationships. It destroys unity. It creates division and disunity within the church. And let us learn from these disciples. 
Let's learn this lesson that if we are going to be self-focused, man, it's going to destroy unity and mission. So Jesus, verse 42, Jesus called all the disciples together and he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise great authority over them. He's pointing to greatness according to the world. Again, if we define greatness by the world standard, hey, if you are in authority, you lord it over the people. Hey, look how great I am. I'm in charge and you're not. I'm special. I've got the special parking spot at work and you don't. They lord it over them. Our greatness at other people's expense. Verse 43 Jesus said, it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Jesus just said that the true measure of greatness isn't found in your significance. It isn't found in how many followers you have. It isn't found in how big your bank account is. The true measure of significance is found in your capacity to deny yourself. To sacrifice of yourself to serve other people. We read this word in that text. Jesus said, you must be a slave of all. In our 21st century American uh, culture, we we hear the word slave and that's a bad word. And we we don't like that word slave. And, And listen, it is true. Slavery that we experienced in our country has been incredibly evil. But, but, but. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus often used this term of of servant or slave to describe the identity or the character that he is looking for from people who are going to follow him. That he would define a servant as being a person who serves others instead of serving themselves. He would define a servant of someone who is others-focused instead of being self-focused. And this is contrary to everything in our being. This is contrary to our natural self. Our natural tendency is not to deny ourselves. Our natural tendency is not to, to bless other people. Come on, let's be honest. Our natural tendency is to protect ourselves, to promote ourselves. Our natural tendency is to make ourselves as most comfortable as we can so others have to serve and bless us. And this idea of being a servant, being a slave of all, man, it really messes up our world. It messes up our our plans. But again, let's remember the conversation that the disciples are having with Jesus. They're inquiring about, hey, how can we become great? How can we have fulfillment? How can we have significance? And Jesus just changed that definition completely. Jesus just said the greatest fulfillment in life is found in giving yourself away for other people. Now, I'll be honest, I hear that. That the greatest fulfillment that I'm going to find in my life is to give myself away. Man, that's hard. That's hard. But I want to remind us of something. That God will never ask you to do something that he has not already done for you. God never puts a demand out and says, you need to do this. If he's not willing to do it first and foremost. He's not a dictator. He's not an authoritarian. Jesus is a king willing to die for his servants. Verse 45. Jesus says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's he's not asking us to do something he hasn't done first and foremost himself. You see this term in verse 45, the Son of Man. 
The Son of Man points back to the book of Isaiah. It points back to the humanity of God. That God became one of us. That God left heaven to become a human like us. Philippians chapter 2 describes that. It says that Jesus was God in the flesh. And that Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't find it something to to hold on to, to long for greatness. In fact, it says he emptied himself. He set aside uh, his position as king of kings and lord of lords to become one of us. He set aside his authority to become a servant. And he humbled himself to die a sinner's death. And do you see the contrast? Do you see the contrast between worldly greatness and the greatness that is exemplified by Jesus? Earthly kings, what do they do? They recruit people to to build their kingdoms. What Jesus did, Jesus owned everything and he gave it all away. Jesus is a king who serves his people. So we have this redefinition of what greatness is all about. It's not about influence and power and esteem and recognition. Greatness is about being willing and able to give ourselves away for other people. So what does that actually mean? What does that look like for you and I? How do we seek other people's interests before our own? I think about just some real practical ways. Think about your family. If you're married, think about your spouse. Think about the problems in your marriage. Think about the difficulty in your marriage, the fights that you've had. How many of those fights have happened because you were seeking your own interest instead of the interest of your spouse? Just think about that. Man, I will tell you, teenagers, when you think about your relationship with your siblings and your parents, how many problems in your family are there because you are preoccupied with yourself instead of a desire to serve and to bless the people around you? And I'll just say very practically, men, you want to experience the fruitfulness of marriage? I'll tell you what, you get down and you do the dishes, you clean the toilets, Man, it leads to, to great things later on with your wife. I'm not saying for sure what those great things are, but I'm saying it's good for you to serve your spouse in that way. Listen, let's just take this. Uh, let, who, who's that difficult person in your life? You've got that difficult neighbor. You've got that difficult family member. You've got that, that difficult boss, that difficult person, wherever it is. Listen, your perspective about them changes. When you stop focusing on yourself and you say, I'm going to go serve that person. Your perspective changes towards that person just by serving them. What does it look like for you to be a servant at work? I'll tell you what, there was a decade and a half ago, that's been a long time, I worked at the state patrol, and I had two immediate supervisors. And there's one supervisor, and her attitude was, you know, I've done my time. I've done my time. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to watch. I'm going to do my crossword puzzle. And I'm going to enjoy myself. And there was the other supervisor who was very willing to jump in and do whatever needed to be done. Hey, you need a break? Here, let me step in for you. Let me give you a break. You can go and and, and go get some lunch. In fact, I remember there was one day, it was a really busy day, and and garbages were overflowing, and that was something that we were supposed to do. 
And the supervisor came and emptied all of the garbages because they needed to be done. Now, I'll tell you what. There's one of those supervisors that I would have given my left lung to. Right lung, one of those lungs. I, I think I can live with only one of them. I would have done anything for that supervisor. There's another one of the supervisors. Man, I'm not answering her phone. I'm not answering her call when she calls me on the phone. Because it's how you serve. Made all the difference in the world. Practically speaking, I recognize. Man, if we're going to serve other people, man, it sure comes at a cost, does it not? It costs us our time. It costs us treasure. It costs us our energy. It costs us our comfort. But just think about, let me ask you a couple of questions based on that idea. Listen, do you love your schedule more than you love your neighbor? Do you love your comfort more than you love the hurting person who's sitting on the same pew as you this morning? Do you love yourself more than you love Christ and his word and his call on your life? Ouch. Restoration Church, one of the things that we do as a church is we do this big Christmas outreach. It is in uh, a couple weeks from today. Uh, the, the, the lighted parade runs right down Yakima Avenue, and we put a float in the parade. We put a nativity scene on the float. We drive down. We invite everybody at the parade. I don't know how many people show up to the parade, six, seven, eight thousand, ten thousand. I don't know. We invite all those people. Hey, come to the seasons after the parade. You go sit out in the cold, watch all the floats drive by. Come get warm at the seasons. We serve people. We give them coffee and cookies and cocoa and, and give them a good atmosphere. We serve them by singing Christmas carols that we all lo- grew up singing together as we were young. We, we serve uh, the people that come by giving them entertainment. We do some fun games and give away some prizes. And we invite people to church. Last year was beautiful. Uh, uh, from our best guesstimate, there was at least 400 people that, that, that packed this room right here. It was amazing. You know why we do that? We do that to love our city. We do that to share the spirit of Christmas. Uh, we do that to invite people to our church. We do that so we can proclaim the gospel. So more people would understand it's what Christ has done for you. Do you know a deeper reason why we do that? Because it trains us as a church. This is what we do. We serve We give ourselves away. We sacrifice our comfort. We sacrifice our resources. We sacrifice our time to serve our city. Because when you serve someone else, you are speaking value into their life. You are speaking and saying, listen, you are loved. You are cared for. It's an opportunity for us to welcome people in. And say, listen, it doesn't matter whether you were on the hill last night or whether you were at the mission. You will find acceptance and belonging here. Now, I know there's some in here, and you're like, well, I've tried this. I've served people, and I got burned. I got hurt. I got abused. Listen, I'm sorry that you've had that experience. I've been there. I know exactly what you're feeling. One of the hardest things is to serve yourself and give yourself away for someone who just abuses you. But I think back to what Jesus said about that cup. Remember that cup of suffering that he said, listen, you're going to drink of that cup as well. Perhaps 
Perhaps that's part of it. Perhaps that's part of us serving people and sometimes getting hurt, but still doing that. In fact, I'm just thankful, you know, Jesus, I'm thankful that he continued to serve me after Judas betrayed him. One of his best friends betrays him. He didn't quit. I'm thankful that Jesus still chose to go to the cross, even though Peter denied him three times. He still went to the cross. I am thankful that Jesus still saves me, even though I continually choose to do my own thing instead of doing things the way that God would ask me to do it. Yeah, there's, there's, there's difficulty that comes in this. But that's where fulfillment's going to be found. I want to just close with a the simple little thing. This idea of, of giving yourself away, how does this benefit you? How are you personally fulfilled by giving yourself away and serving other people? It's been a hard season for me personally. We're in a busy season at work. There's just a lot of things happening at work. And I've got some things going on personally that's just overwhelming. There's a couple days this week that it just took every amount of energy in my body to get out of bed in the morning. Much less thinking about going and serving my family, going to work and serving the church and serving Jacob. That's really tough, serving Jacob. You should just work in the office with him. You'll know what I'm talking about. But I read Isaiah chapter 58 today, or this week. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to the nation of Israel. A group of people who are much like us. People who forget that true greatness and fulfillment is found in giving yourselves away. So Isaiah chapter 58, Isaiah begins to describe what it's like to serve other people. Verse 6, he says, we break the chains of wickedness. We untie ropes of yoke. We set the oppressed free. We serve other people this way. We, we share bread with the hungry. We, we bring poor to the homeless uh, and the homeless into our house. We clothe the naked. And verse 8, he says, Then light appears like dawn. Then recovery comes quickly. Then righteousness goes before you. Then the Lord's glory protects you from behind. Then verse 9, when we call, God answers. Verse 10, he says, if you offer yourself to the hungry, if you satisfy the afflicted, then night will be like noon. Then the Lord will always lead you. He will satisfy you in parched land and strengthen your bones, and you'll be like a watered garden whose a spring whose, never, whose water never runs dry. What God is telling us is if we would just serve other people, if we would give ourselves away, then our recovery would come quickly. Then God's righteousness would go before me and, and plow the way. And God's glory would come behind me and protect me. And if we serve other people, then the darkness of night, the darkness of seasons will become like noon and bright like light. The Lord will lead you. And he will satisfy you. Not because we sought this personal greatness. 
not because we sought to have more esteem and honor and praise, but because we served, because we gave ourselves away for other people. Listen, this morning, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling unsatisfied, if you're feeling frustrated, if you're feeling depressed, listen, the greatest fulfillment and the joy that you can find is found in giving yourself away for others. Let's pray.